Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. We are taking a small hiatus to regroup around some exciting things that will be coming to all of you very, very soon. In the meantime, we will be re-airing some of our favorite interviews with our favorite badass women, just in time for Women's History Month. As always, you can find us on our website in the meantime at workerbeing.com. You can email us, contact at workerbeing.com, and you can join our brand new community to have deeper conversations about workplace wellness at workerbeing.com slash community. Enjoy the awesome interviews we have scheduled for you, and we'll talk to you all soon. Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by Dolly Chug. Uh, she is an award-winning professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. She teaches MBA courses in leadership and management, and she researches the psychology of good people, which is super interesting, and we're going to get more into that. Um, her first book, The Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight Bias, came out last year, and it's received rave praise from many people you may have heard of, like Adam Grant, Angela Duckworth, Liz Wiseman, Carol Dweck, and even Billie Jean King, uh, amongst many others. And uh, she's also given this amazing TED Talk. Uh, she gave it last year, which was named one of the 25 most popular TED Talks of 2018. And it currently has over 3.3 million views. So I hope that you add to those views uh, after listening to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Dolly, for being here with us. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on your awesome podcast. Well, thank you. Um, yes, so to thank kick you so much. To kick things off, um, would you describe a little bit about your book, The Person You Mean to Be, and what inspired you to write it? Oh, sure. Um, so, I mean, the title is a little bit of a giveaway in the terms of how I see myself. Um, you know, I may study intellectually as a scholar these issues of unconscious bias or ethics. Um, and intellectually, that's all fine and good, but the world is complicated and I'm often navigating my own mistakes or confused by what's the right way to act in a certain situation or, you know, blindsided by, a, you know, not knowing that a certain word shouldn't be used or that that was no longer appropriate. And so I feel often that the person I mean to be and the person I am on a day to day basis, that there's this gap there. Um, so the science behind, uh, my book would suggest that that's in fact the reality for all of us, that, uh, there is no perfection in human behavior and there's all sorts of stuff that happens outside of our awareness in our minds that we're not even tuned into. And those blind spots sometimes interfere with us being the person we mean to be. So I wrote this book. You know, they say all research, all research is me search. And in some ways, this book is, is my version of that. It, I wanted to curate science and stories that would help me have tools and strategies to do better in the world and to make them available to a general audience, not just to people who have access to scholarly journals or, or you know, interest in reading those kinds of pieces. We love that. That's very much aligned, as you know, with our mission to make sure people can access this kind of information, you know, and research in an accessible way. And it sounds like that's exactly where you were coming from, yeah. too. Yeah. And with everything you just said, so it kind of leads to our next thought is around why the why behind it. So mm -hmm. we understand that, you know, there isn't a perfect 
situation for a person, right? You're continuously growing. Why do you think it's important for people to commit to continuously improve who they are, um, especially in terms of inclusivity? Yeah. Well, you know, it really stems from how we often think about um, inclusion, you know, and anything related to sort of the stuff we put in the bucket of being a good person. We, we think of that stuff a little differently. Like if you wanted to start a podcast, you wouldn't assume that you should just know how to do a podcast, that you should know how to do the recording and how to get the word out and how to craft the questions. And you wouldn't assume that would just be a known thing. You would ask around, you would read, you would experiment, you'd make mistakes, you'd get better. And you would, as a, um, a podcast creator, your skills would continue to grow throughout the life of your podcast. But somehow when it comes to issues that we put in that bucket of being a good person, like inclusion or diversity, we, we assume that we should just know how to do it. That, that that's just, it, that you, you just, you're a good person or you're not, or you were, you were raised a certain way or you weren't. And we put ourselves on this pretty thin ledge where it's either you're a good person or you're a bad person. And that thin, the reason the ledge is so thin is that we're defining good person as someone who doesn't make mistakes, someone who doesn't have blind spots. And the research of the last 50 years in social psychology and cognitive psychology tells us that, that that's just scientifically wrong, that everyone has blind spots, that um, 90 plus percent of our mental functioning takes place outside of our awareness. It's, it's why you can drive home listening to this podcast after a busy day at work and get home and not even remember the drive home, that you were on autopilot, your mind was busy, it was listening, it was processing your day, and you were able to navigate turns and red lights and pedestrians and all sorts of things without having to consciously engage in that work because so much of the mind's work happens outside of our awareness. And so if we accept what is scientifically true, that a lot of the mind's work happens outside of awareness, and therefore it's possible that there are things that we are saying or doing or processing that aren't, that we're not even realizing. And if we accept that, um, therefore that means that as good people, we might sometimes still make mistakes then that thin ledge we've put ourselves on is a really dangerous, dangerous place because it means we can easily fall off and we're not willing to accept that. In the same way that we're willing to accept that I don't necessarily know how to do a podcast without getting better at it. Um, We don't accept that becoming a good person and being a good person is a set of skills I'm gonna continually have to practice, improve, and learn from mistakes about um, in the same way. So. I think it's important that we continually work on improving these skills because if we sit in a commitment to I am a good person, period, and we're very wedded to that identity, it actually gets in the way of us being better people. We have to let go of that good person, um, our view of ourselves as good people in order to become better people. Yeah. And I love that 
I think that that's really important to keep in mind uh, with regard to, you know, even teaching and talking with business professionals or consulting or coaching. Um, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten as someone who teaches about diversity and inclusion in organizations uh, is, you know, why would you want to go talk to an audience of business professional professionals who probably don't see this as very important to their job? Uh, they don't care, or maybe they're they're not t- too into this conversation. And on, I'm always like, those are the people I'd love to talk to. Like, let's let's get engaged in a conversation with people that actually have a lot of uh, room to grow and improve and then but who are open minded to making those uh, making those changes. It's almost like people expect or have this expectation of themselves and others that you're just going to be great at this. Uh, And if you're not great at it, you're kind of a lost cause. So I really love this idea. Um, I know you talk about growth mindset um, in the in the book as well. This idea of continuously growing. Yeah. as people are on that journey, um, what are some of the challenges that they face uh, in in being more inclusive? What are some of the biggest things that uh, you see in the research or in your experience uh, being roadblocks for people? And how, how do they tend to overcome those things? Because it's not easy. No, it's not. No, um, absolutely. Well, I think, and I'm so glad you brought up the growth mindset research by Carol Dweck and, and her colleagues. I think that is the biggest obstacle is that we bring a fixed mindset, one in which we don't assume ourselves to be works in progress. We assume that whatever level we're at is the level we're going to be at and that effort won't change, that feedback won't change that. And some of us think we're like super woke and we've already figured this out. And other of us think, you know, like you said, it's just not something that we're deeply engaged in. And as a result, what we know from that mindset research is that when we do make a mistake, like the, the studies on mindset have shown that let's say someone's doing math problems and they're in a fixed mindset, they don't view that as a skill that's going to improve and they make a mistake, brain activity actually goes down when the mistake is pointed out. Like we actually withdraw at exactly the moment where there's learning possibilities. Whereas when we're in a growth mindset, when we do view ourselves as a work in progress and we make a mistake, our brain activity goes up. We actually like get extra attentive and focused because it makes sense. It's like, well, I might as well, there's something to be learned here that will help me. And it, it there's no point if there's no point in learning if I don't think I can change, but if I think I can change, then I guess I'm, it's worth the brain waves. Um, and so I, I think, I think just sort of changing how we view ourselves is a huge challenge and it's it's really it really contradicts all the messages we get from the world around us in this cancel culture and call out culture we often i think don't feel we have that room to see ourselves as a work in progress but i think for most of us who aren't you know living in the public eye on a daily basis we have more room than we think we we just need to give ourselves that room I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you think about your development from youth, you know, into adulthood, your perspectives on everything changes dramatically, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like we feel like, okay, now we're adults and now we're stable, but that's (laughs) not true. People continue to develop and change over time. You're not the same person at 40 as you were at 30 and at 60 as you were at 20. Like there's a lot of growth and development. Um, So I think it's like you're saying that awareness, that mindset that really comes into play here to um, make sure that people are actively continuing to grow and not just letting themselves go along for the ride. Right. And, and, you know, and I see it in myself, like, you know, um, 
you know, the, 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 any number of like embarrassing things I've done, mistakes I've made, you know, there was a student I was mentoring and, um, a young, a very young person. And, uh, she was really good at math and science. And I was speaking to one of her teachers and the teacher was kind of gushing about her and I was gushing about it. We were all gushing. And it was one of those moments where like two people sort of talk at the same time, but they're saying the same thing. So it's like kind of synchronous. And we're both saying she would be an amazing, someday she would be an amazing. And the teacher said doctor, because we were speaking about math and science. And I said nurse in that moment. And this is, you know, I have huge respect for nurses, but I think if there's someone who you think is well-suited for a healthcare profession, it seems like you should consider both the doctor and nurse career path. And somehow my mind and all those years I had been mentoring her had never considered doctor for her. Like I had always been encouraging her to consider nursing. And so, you know, moments like that, it's like, the question is when that moment became apparent, when the teacher's words and my words collided in midair, I, was mortified. I mean, mortified. And, and then the question is, what, what do I do in that moment? What do I do with that mistake? And, um, you know, it, it, it took some like internal wrestling with my own ego to acknowledge sort of the, the learning I had to do that somehow, I don't know if it's cause she was female or Hispanic or what it was, but I just had a massive, massive blind spot to the possibilities of her as a doctor. Well, it also seems like, you know, I think that's an awesome example because those are the kinds of things that, you know, sort of happen where it's not like you're intending to do anything negative towards this person. In fact, you were really thinking about their, um, their positive characteristics and how that might play out into a positive future for them. But um, there's some limitation to the way that uh, our, our, brain's training uh shapes the way that we react and respond to other people that we may not even be aware of even if we're well-intentioned um yeah and and so I love that example and I think that uh you know it speaks to this broader uh issue as well of being able to admit that you make mistakes like uh the fact that you talk about that example in the book and you also are willing to say hey here's where I've messed up here's how I'm trying to get better um, helps to role model for people that they don't have to say nothing. I think, and you might find this too in classes, when I teach about these topics, I find that students are so unwilling to even yeah. talk about them sometimes because they're so worried of saying the wrong yeah. thing. And there's good reason sometimes to be worried about it because if you do say the wrong thing, people almost have gotten into this. You talked about like cancel culture, like people almost gotten into this like one upmanship about like, Hey, I'm more woke than you. No, I'm more woke than you. Um, and in a way it's helpful that people are aware, but it also limits learning. I think for people who might need to learn more because it sort of shuts down the conversation and makes it about yeah. shame as opposed to about like positive emotions and feeling like I can do this. I can tackle. I think this. that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. The, the making your learning visible is so powerful in in everything in life and definitely in any topic that evokes shame and it's it's something that i i'm surprised at how much easier it's become like when i first started publicly talking about my own mistakes i was really terrified i would like be sweating while i would share these things in front of a class or an audience <laughs> 
And what I've noticed is the world didn't stop spinning. Like people weren't like, she has a blind spot. It was like, the, the, the world knew I had blind spots. Like everybody knew but me. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the same is true that we know about everyone else's blind spots. They're the ones still figuring it out. And so then I think the muscle memory sort of built of like, oh, this is this is part of doing the work is modeling, um, taking ownership. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's critical. I, I love everything that you're saying about that because we do need to take ownership for it. We need to be aware of it. And... I think everybody surrounding people that maybe make mistakes, we need to be more supportive than maybe our culture currently um, has us feeling we should be. Yeah. So you know, I, I agree and I'll, I'll just throw in one little um, nuance on that, which is I talk a little bit in the book about the difference between heat and light when you're trying to uh, make change, particularly social change. And light is where you meet people where they are and consider their comfort and don't push too hard. And heat is where you, you know, sort of the cancel culture or protests or where you don't take the comfort of the people you're trying to change into account. And I think as educators, uh, we certainly drawn towards light and my personality is more light. Um, That said, what I learned in doing my research for the book was that in social movements that have been most effective, both heat and light have been employed in a balanced way. Um, So the civil rights movement, for example, had a radical flank and a moderate flank. Social movements that have relied heavily on heat or heavily on light have not been as effective. And I think, I haven't read this analysis, but my personal analysis of that is that heat changes systems, not necessarily attitudes, but systems, Mm whereas light changes attitudes. So heat changes kind of the macro level stuff and, and light changes the individuals or the micro level. And that, that my, that's my theory of the, the un, as yet unpublished and untested theory of, by Dolly Chug of, of why both heat and light are essential. So I like, I like light myself and my takeaway from doing the work around this book is that I need to do more to amplify people willing to bring the heat. Yeah. And I think that's a great uh, way of talking about it because, you know, this heat and light concept um, is really important because some people are not as, as drawn to or feel as compelled to, or feel like they're best suited for either one of those roles. Right. Uh, So you can kind of pick where you want to, where you want to focus your time and energy, or maybe you want to do both. Um, But I think that it's really crucial that regardless of whether you're involved in heat or light, that you're also uh, not putting the onus on people who are, actively uh you know at the receiving end of the discrimination or negative treatment to have responsibility to bring that heat or to bring that light so I think the big Mm -hmm. thing is that you know taking these things as teachable moments and you can kind of you know pick what your mode of teaching is uh but thinking about um you know how do you bring a message what is the message and how can you help to maybe relieve some of the tension and pressure that's on individuals who are also like emotionally dealing with the fact that they're on the receiving end of negativity. Um, so, you know, I, I think that it's complicated, uh, as you discuss mm-hmm. in the book. Uh, but, uh, I really like how you're using these concepts to bring this to light for people <laughs> to light, huh? but yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of nuance there in terms of how you handle the individual. I do really appreciate the idea of the light, and handling people 
who maybe are not making mistakes intentionally versus heat from a bigger perspective. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense because we all know the person that shuts down if they make a mistake and maybe didn't mean to do it, but then get a lot of negativity thrown back at them because of it that they never then change and learn. And I think we don't want to do that to individuals that um, possibly were open at one point and then shut down because of the way they were responded to. Um, But to Katina's point, obviously it needs to be coming from people that maybe aren't on the brunt end of that person's comment or whatever it is on Twitter or wherever we find these things. There's space for all of us in this work. Yeah, so uh, kind of on that note in terms of societal shifts or uh, impacts on individuals who are doing these behaviors or receiving these kinds of behaviors, uh, what do you hope are the outcomes associated with um, driving inclusivity, uh, sort of the end game of writing the book? What do you hope to influence from a attitudinal or health-related or wellness-related perspective within society or within people? Yeah. Well, you know, I've been talking about being goodish instead of good. And the idea with being goodish is that, as we talked about a few minutes ago, that we're, we're viewing ourselves as learners in this space. And I, you know, every time we think about um, moments where we've learned something, we usually speak about it with a sort of zest and, 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 and excitement about this thing we've learned, you know, whatever the thing is. And I would like us to be thinking about issues like diversity and inclusion with that kind of zest. And I I realize, I don't say that casually, I realize how much painful history in the past and in the present um, current events there is. Uh, And yet at the same time, I think we will all be happier and healthier if we can approach this as a learnable skill, as goodish people trying to do better. Um, And we also know that bias has real negative health outcomes on the people targeted. And it's particularly um, um, sort of damaging when it's unclear or ambiguous if a bias is actually in play, that when people are left to guess um, about ambiguous or unconscious bias and whether or not it affected a behavior directed towards them, that that creates elevated heart rate and all sorts of other health outcomes that are that are really negative. Um, So I think the more we can do to name and notice things that aren't visible, the more we can do to um, contribute to it. We can't always make the harm go away, but we can perhaps make some of the ambiguity go away by naming and noticing it. So I'd love to see us all trying to be goodish rather than good and to name and notice what we see around us. I love that goodish. It just encourages that continuous improvement versus that's that static place where we're just good or bad and not on the way that's right it's a higher standard goodish is better than good (laughs) love it so we have a final fun question for you before we wrap up here um so we'd like to ask all of our interviewees something fun at the end so we'd love to know about your perfect afternoon if you were able to craft your perfect afternoon what would you do and where would you go my perfect afternoon would be with my um my husband and my kids uh exploring a new something new a new experience a new place a new movie something where we're all sort of new to something at the same time and in this magically constructed perfect afternoon my two teenagers would not be fighting 
<laughs> they wouldn't have headphones <laughs> in. They wouldn't have screens out. Uh, we would all just be physically and mentally and emotionally present um, together and and at our best. Um, and then it would be followed by time by myself reading, which is my favorite. I think my favorite activity of all is just I love reading. That's nice. awesome. So that sounds like <laughs> a great afternoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so is there anything else that uh, you want our listeners to know about where to find your work or the book or uh, anything else you want to tell them uh, to wrap things up? Oh, thank you so much. Well, the book is called The Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight Bias. And it's um, it's written for general audiences, filled with stories, sprinkled with science. I, I really... Uh, would love for as many people as possible to to access the tools and strategies so you can find it um, wherever you buy books whether it's at a, a, a chain bookstore an independent bookstore or amazon type bookstore um, and if you do read it i encourage people to post honest reviews I, I appreciate all reviews i read every single one and they do help more readers find the book because the more reviews there are the the better the algorithm treats the book Awesome. Well, we hope that you all go find the book. Uh, it We love it. Uh, it's a great, great book, a great tool uh, to use in your workplaces. And it has just been awesome having you here with us, Dolly. So thank you so much again. This was so much fun. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dolly Chug for joining us today. It was so great to hear her perspective and her research. You can find more information about Dolly at her website, which is dollychug, D-O-L-L-Y-C-H-U-G-H.com. We'll also link to it in the show notes, plus a link to her book. Um, and if you would love to talk to us about this, like we were really excited about her work. So if we would love to hear from you too, you can find us at workerbeing.com. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com. Or you can find us on social media at WorkerBeing. Thanks. The WorkerBeing podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Mm-hmm.